Welcome, Welcome to the Cosmic Conversation. How we doing everybody? It's another day to be great. It's another day to be happy. We're alive. My name is Esteban Ramirez and welcome to another episode of the Cosmic Conversation. Today we're going to be talking about a really important topic that has been highly requested and I think it has a it, it needs to be clarified a lot. So today I will be introducing to you the chairman of philosophy at SUNY Cortland, meditation teacher, doctor of philosophy and professor of love Dr. Andrew Fitzgibbon, how are we doing today? Yeah, great, Esteban. I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Not, not a problem. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. So I think, so, okay. So today's topic is about the topic of love for everybody listening at home. And I, I personally think that the word love is a very overused word. Um, in our society like I don't I think it's actually so overused it's gotten to the point where people are losing what it actually means not that I know what it actually means I just think it's it's absolutely used everywhere like I love McDonald's I love Chipotle um, I love my new scarf of or materialistic objects and something like that so I wanted to ask you what what exactly is love I know it's a really, really broad question, but what exactly is it? Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a bit of a mystery. I think that's what what uh, when you talked to me about the podcast, you said that's the mystery of love. Yeah, and um, I think it's a good way of putting it. And I, I I do agree with you that we use love more now in our culture than we've ever used it. Um, when I grew up, my father rarely, not rarely, never. I don't think he ever said, you know, Andy, I love you. It was just not a thing, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and now people love everything. And sometimes, you know, I have students say, Professor, I love you, I love you. And I think, you don't know me, so <laughs> how can you love me? Um, and, you know, so it is overused, but it's in some ways that's not a bad thing, you know, to have uh, love kind of amplified in our society. It's, it's not bad. But I think you're right. We don't really know what we mean by love. and Historically and in philosophy, love has got many different meanings. It's it's a bit like a diamond with many sides to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all love, but um, depending on the context, who's saying it, um, and uh, and the objects of love, love has different kinds of meaning. So um, I don't think it's possible to give any one definition of love. It's a much more complex, abstruse mysterious, trans-categorical, trans-rational thing. So I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to say, well, I'm not going to be able to tell you what love is. Mm. I, I can talk to you about the effects of love and the different ways that we love. And then if we talk about that, we can get an idea. It's what sometimes philosophers call a bundle approach. 
that uh, one way is to try and give an exhaustive definition that once and for all tells you what something is. Um, but that's often unsatisfactory because most things are much more complex than a simple definition. So what we do is we list a series of attributes, a system of ideas associated with a system of um, uh, a series of experiences. And it's like check boxes and you check the boxes and you can see whether things approximate to what we think of as love or not. Uh, if that makes any sense to you. No, yeah, it does make sense. Now, another question, like, so you're saying that love obviously doesn't have one true universal meaning. Um, yeah. Now, are there are there different components of love? Because then if, if, if there's no universal type of love, that means that there's different versions and variations of love. And like you said it before, it depends on who's, who's saying it to you, what exactly we're talking about. So what are what are the different components of love? Okay. Well, different philosophers have, have given um, different types of love, different aspects of love. Traditionally, we tend to think of, of the words in Greek. So in Greek, we have uh, erotic love. Uh, we have um, the love of friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have what's called agapic love. And then uh, sometimes a fourth one is added, which is the word storge, which is affection. Mm. And so in my 2012 book, I used um, those four ways of thinking about love. Um, And I think if I was writing the book I wrote back in 2012 today, I would probably add parental love or mother love to those four. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's something that is um, particular and unique about the kind of love that parents have for children. And again, historically, philosophers have talked about that as mother love, the, the nurturing love that the mother gives the child from birth at the breast and in the in the early socialization. But it's not exclusively for, for mothers. Uh, I think fathers, grandparents are the caregivers who are the primary caregivers have that kind of love. So those are different ways of, of thinking about it. And they have different intensities. Um, for instance, erotic love, which is generally um, the love between usually two people, sometimes more than two. There's a kind of polyamorous version of erotic love, but it's that kind of intense love where you fall in love with someone. Mm. And um, it is a life-changing love, you know. You fall in love with someone and the grass is greener, the sky is blue, the the birds are singing better songs than they did yesterday. (laughs) It's it's like everything has changed. But actually, something has changed in your own psyche, and that is you've fallen in love with someone. Mm. Um, it's very intense, but it doesn't last a great deal of time. People fall in love, they fall out of love. Um, and then other loves like affection. It's not an intense love at all. Um, you know, you have affection for uh, your siblings, your parents, you have affection for your animal companions. You know, I love my little dogs, my little pugs, I have a great deal of affection for them. Um, but it's almost uh, sometimes like a pair of old slippers or a pair of old jeans. You know, you just slip into them, really comfy. Um, there's no intensity about it. And then some of the loves are kind of in between. You know, you have love for friends. Um, and true love of friends uh, can be intense, but often not. It's more, it's more kind of uh, 
the icing on the cake of life. You know, if you have good friends, then life goes along mm-hmm. a bit better than it did if you don't have them. Right. So um, there's lots of different ways of thinking about love in in those terms. So so is is there so you're saying that being in love because I mean, um, in my in my generation. I think a lot of people have the concept, uh, the perception that when you're in love with somebody, like that is absolutely it. Um, you're ready to be in a relationship with that person, marry that person, whatever the case may be. But what you're saying is that, I mean, I mean, it's definitely a possibility, but it's it's sort of a phase, like being in love with somebody. Um, yes and no. The intensity of of falling in love and and and. It's even interesting when we talk about it, right? You fall in love. It's not something that you worked out. It's not something that you you necessarily planned for. It's just something that happens to you. It's it's like a it's more like a gift. You fall in love with someone, mm-hmm. and it just happens to you, right? You mm-hmm. don't do it yourself, um, and it does have a, an intensity in in the early days of of that falling in love, mm-hmm. um, and then I suppose you either fall out of love and the relationship ends or that intensity morphs into something much more long-term and it has elements of friendship in it. It has elements of affection. It has elements of um, compassion and altruism. And I think it's only when those other aspects of love, which are not as kind of in your face as falling in love that, mm. that sustains love for a longer time. Wow. So how how exactly do you know when you're in love? I mean, like you said, it's a it's a gift, right? Yes. So how how exactly like if you could explain that for people that haven't been in love, or or maybe they have and they just they just didn't even realize it. I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I mean, we've got so many songs about this, right? <laughs> Popular culture is all about right. falling in love, and if if you listen to Adele, you know she falls in and out of love, and it's so painful, right? <laughs> <laughs> If you're feeling miserable, you should listen to Adele and then you'll feel better about yourself because she's just, you know, she's desperate all the time. (laughs) Um, How do you know? It's one of those things that you know it when you experience it. Mm. And and if you've been in love and somebody else has been in love and you talk about being in love, then you've got a feeling for what the other person is talking about. Mm. But if you've not been in love, I think it would be very difficult to to grasp what you mean i mean take it like um uh i don't know if you enjoy guinness that's the band do you, do you like guinness I, i'm not I'm, I'm not the biggest fan but i will partake every now and then okay yeah <laughs> well you know guinness has a, a unique flavor right it's mm-hmm. it's beer but it's kind of dark and it's 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 bitter and mm-hmm. it's a bit smooth and it's got a kind of nutty aftertaste Right. But if you try to explain to someone that's never had a, a drink of Guinness what Guinness tastes like, they look at you quite strange, right? right because right. whatever you said about it wouldn't be quite what it is. And I think that's why falling in love is this kind of transrational experience that you can't put into words. Now, of course, we do try. You know, poetry is full of trying to explain what it means to be in love. Popular music is mostly about falling in and out of love. A great deal of our um, uh, novels and movies and sitcoms and series on the TV often are about what it's like to fall in love. Mm. And 
it still remains intangible. It still remains slightly outside of our grasp. Right. And even when you fall in love, you know, you, you think, am I in love? What is this? What the hell's happened to me? Mm. Um, it's quite a, a strange, quite a strange experience. Right, right. And yet, you know, many people, most people experience it at some point in their lives. Yeah. Now, now I was going to ask you this earlier, but I think you already might have might have answered it. Um, a, a really, a really big question that I always have with my friends is what's the difference between having love and being in love and you touched upon the difference between affection and erotic love is that would that would would you say that is basically the difference so like affection is more of a a coming and going which would be having love and then being in love like would be more of an erotic type of love where like the like like you said earlier the birds are chirping everything is just a true experience would you say that would be the answer well, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, love, as I said earlier, love has got many, many aspects. And sometimes love is something that happens to us. And sometimes loving is something that we actually do, mm-hmm. right? So um, uh, that experience of falling in love when you feel your world has changed and life looks very different happens to you. Um but you can love uh, by expressing love in certain ways that works toward the well-being of the other person, the other object of your love. Mm-hmm. One philosopher who's a, a, I'm a great fan of is Iris Murdoch. She's a British philosopher, and um, she wrote some books on philosophy, but most of her work was in novels. And in her novels, she explores notions of love. And one of the things that she says about love is love is an unselfing for the sake of the other. Mm. And and for me, that's very powerful. That the the falling in love often feels like you become somewhat self-centered, right? You're, You're experiencing love. You are, in a sense, closer to your core of who you are than than you've ever been. And yet at the same time, you are unselfed because you are thinking about the other. Mm. Now, that's true of all kinds of love. When you think about the love of friendship and true friends, and your true friend is someone who uh, is there for you, who listens to you, who supports you, and and all of those things that this person is to you, in their friendship love to you, they are unselfing because they are focused on you. Mm. They are a friend does things for the other friend. A friend is there for the other friend. And so they're unselfed. Parental love, um, you think of what your parents do to you and for you when you're a little kid. They are unselfed. You know, they get up in the middle of the night to feed you. They care for you when you're sick. They clothe you. They feed you. They run around to soccer games with you all the time. Parental love is an unselfing. And, and that's what is quite amazing about love and what makes love the glue of society is that when we love we have less interest in ourselves and more interest in others in other words we are less self-regarding and more other regarding and it's when we're other regarding that society families universities work well when we are concerned with the well-being of others rather than the concern for the well-being of ourself. Mm. Wow. 
That's, that was really deep. I'm trying to digest that. That was really deep. Now, so then, what role? What role does the past and the future play on love? Uh, can you explain that a bit more? Right. So, like, what you mean? So, like, what? What role? All right. So, I'm gonna start off with the past, right? So, what? What role does your does your past experiences play on being in love with somebody? Because earlier, what what you just mentioned was giving up the self for the other, which is very evident for all different types of aspects of love, whether it's friendship, love, parent, parental love. Um, you just want to be there for that person. And you're, you may be more regard for that person than yourself. Now, for somebody that may have been in and out of love, right, and, and may be consistently finding themselves with new partners, new relationships, or whatever the case may be, what role does past experiences play on new experiences? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's it's it can be pretty major. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I, I hope that that we learn from past experiences, right? They're, they're part of who we are. They shape us as a person. But if you have had uh, several experiences of falling in love and falling out of love and being hurt and being abused um, and thinking that this was the the one person for you and then it, it doesn't work out, then uh, that can make you very wary of, of falling in love. You've been hurt once, you don't get hurt again. And therefore that can affect the quality of your relationship with people. Mm-hmm. You're less willing to trust others. Um, so the past uh, can affect us greatly. Uh, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. So like how, how important is it to be present during love? Because um, I'm, some, huh. I'm, I'm somebody that really likes um, – stoic philosophy and I'm, I'm really into logotherapy mm-hmm. victory frankel and and very much of buddhism so i think i think being present is really really important um living in the moment um so how how important is being present when you're with somebody that you love in in relationships and in just in general yeah well it, it's important in every aspect of life um to be present, to live in the present moment, the, the way we, we think about it nowadays, um, is uh, to be there in the moment with the other person and not, for instance, having your mind running away on other tracks. Now, that's quite difficult. It's difficult in any circumstance of life and it's difficult in any kind of love relationship. You know, you think of a parent who loves the child and uh the child who has been asking the parent for something again and again and again, the parent's mind wanders, um, and the child experiences that the parent is not there for them, that, that they are in some other place. It's the same in erotic relationships um, and um, the same in friendships. You know, a good friend will be there, present, listening, caring, um, and if the friend is not, then they cease to be a good friend because they, they have... Um, they're not there for you. But but to be present is extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, to listen to people is extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. It takes practice. Now, are there any 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 like um, practices that you do? Do you practice being present in your life? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's um, I mean, it's it's outside our conversation really on love. But right. Um, what what I. Uh, I don't know if you know, I, I teach uh, Tai Chi Chuan, uh, Qigong, mm-hmm. and um, stress uh, relief through meditation. Um, 
and it's what I call a life practice. Okay. I think we're, we're quite used these days to what I think of as as microwave solutions. You know, you you think, okay, you've got this frozen dinner, put it in the microwave, three and a half minutes, and your dinner's ready. Um, and there's no skill to that. There's no practice in that. It's it's a it's a quick solution to a, a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we take that approach to life generally, and we think, okay, I've got a problem. Take uh, two Tylenol. Um, okay, I've got a problem. Uh, you know, do something quick that will fix it. Life is often not like that. And so what I suggest is that we need to develop a life practice. And a life practice is a 24-7 mundane set of exercises that we do. And I'm not sure exercises is the right word, but mm-hmm. it's it's a way of building habits in your life, habitualizing and this, for me, it comes philosophically from Aristotle, who who uh, gave us the notion that you develop virtues through habitually doing virtuous things. And it comes through the Confucian tradition in China that um, a humane person, uh, a junzu, is someone who habituates practices that make for humaneness. Now, if you apply that to love, it's the same, that if you want to be a good lover, it's not something that drops out of the sky, though falling in love seems to drop out of the sky. If you want to to sustain that loving relationship, then you need to build in practices of love. And practices of love are things like being available, being present, as you just said, but involves other things like kindness and care. Mm-hmm. It involves things like faithfulness and trust. It involves things like being very willing to forgive wrongs because we all hurt each other and without forgiveness love will fail it involves um uh moderation uh if you are too excessive in love it's smothering you think of the mother that um really loves the child but she smothers the child and and the love is too excessive Mm -hmm. um and so she needs to moderate um so there's all kinds of practices um and the practice of, of letting go and not controlling is a large part of love. If you, you're in love with someone, but you try to control them, you want them to do everything that you want, then the love will fail. Right. Um, so letting go is also a, a major practice of love. So what you do is you build those things into your relationships as little baby steps every single day. And so think about kindness. If you, you act kindly in little aspects in your relationships, then in time you develop the virtue of kindness, you become a kind person. Mm -hmm. If you do little loving acts each day, little tiny baby steps of loving actions, then you become a good lover in time. Um, But it takes time, it takes practice, it takes a lifetime to, to have excellence in any of these things. Right, right. Now, now I I think what you just said was absolutely beautiful um and you said you said it takes it takes for a lot of forgiveness for a love to succeed now how and and you like you said too i really liked your analogy on on the the microwavable solutions because i definitely do agree with you which which brought me into another question which was how important is loving yourself before entering a relationship or before 
I mean, like you said, falling in love just comes out of the sky. But how how important is loving yourself in order for love to succeed? Because I feel like some people or some individuals may may struggle with forgiveness, and and it may not even being it may not even be forgiving the other person for something they may have done. It may be even forgiving themselves for what they have done or what they been doing or behaviors and actions that may be not exactly the healthiest and affect themselves as an individual. So how important is loving yourself as an individual? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to be perhaps a little controversial um, okay. and say that there's far too much emphasis placed on the self. Mm. And um, our society uh, has placed an emphasis on the self that is not there in the world's great philosophical, spiritual, religious traditions. Right. Um, it's, it's much more uh, Murdoch's unselfing. Um, if, if you're religious and you're Christian, the teaching of Jesus was uh, those who find themselves will lose it. It's those who lose themselves find it. Right. Um, it's there in Buddhism with Buddhism non-attachment. Too. Exactly, non-attachment yeah. to the self, right? Yes, and and so this recent emphasis on the self in our culture, I think is um, it's a wrong step, and I think we've become very selfish as a culture because of it. And you know, love yourself before you can love other people. You actually learn to love yourself by loving other people. Wow! And that's the reverse of what society tells us. Right. Because similar to what Aristotle says about being virtuous is it's, it's in order to live a virtuous life, you need to, like you said, it's a life practice. You need to continuously manifest it. And but not only manifest it, you need to be about it by spreading positivity, spreading kindness, care, compassion, passion and everything. It's so it, yes. basically that's what you're saying, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, if if you... Uh, put off loving others until you can love yourself you will just sit in your room right. <laughs> trying to love yourself um, and self-centered uh, much better to go out there and do something that affects the lives of others for good go and um, help someone achieve their own well-being and you'll find that in uh, helping others achieve their well-being you find well-being yourself wow yeah that's that's really beautiful that's beautiful now I want to I want to take a little bit of uh, a twist to this conversation. Now, because of I feel like a lot of people, since they are attached to the self, um, like you said, our society becomes very selfish and it becomes very um, lustful, right? Because especially with our pop culture, I mean, sex is sex is is like propaganda at this point, and you know, with pornography and absolutely everything. What what is the difference between love and lust, and and how do how, why do people get so confused with the two? Mm. Yeah, well, they're often quite intertwined, aren't they? Mm. Um, human beings, uh, in our very nature, are needy. Uh, in some respects, a human being is just a bundle of needs. Um, every day we need to breathe. Every day we need. Um, water every day we need food we need shelter we need clothes and so uh, those are our very basic needs Um, Abraham Maslow in the 1950s gave us a very interesting way of thinking about uh, human beings 
in terms of a hierarchy of needs. Um, and so those needs often become wants and those wants often become quite strong desires and lust is a very strong form of desire. Mm. Uh, if you put it in terms of sexuality, it's part of being an animal. Um, mm. Evolution has made all animals um, desire to procreate and reproduce their own species. Mm -hmm. And human beings, uh, we are animals. We might be fairly advanced animals, but we're still animals. And so there are aspects of nature, of instinct, that make us lust for a mate. Um, and then because of the way our society is developed in terms of media and um, and allowing us to to see lots of things, we we've really developed the art of lust um, uh, quite profoundly. Really, right? Um, we all want stuff, um, and in sexual terms, we all uh, want sex. It's partly nature, it's partly socialization, it's partly the culture that that surrounds us, that leads us constantly to want something else. So does love equal desire then? Um, love is a form of desire. Um, the philosopher Augustine um, uh, placed love in terms of desire. If, if you ever went to my uh, personal website, I called my website Amo Volo Sis, which is Latin. It means I love you. Um, I want you to be, or I desire you to be. Um, that part of love is to desire the other object, mm. the object of love. Um, so I think desire is a is a, a large part of love. You know, if you've, we've not talked about compassion as a form of love, but um, if you think of compassion, you see somebody in need. You know, you're watching. Uh, some commercial that talks about starving children or abused animals and you feel compassion. The desire there is the desire for the end of the suffering of the other. Mm. Um, and that can be quite strong form of desire. Right. So it's, it's not erotic. It's not a sexual desire, but it's a desire to see uh, the end of suffering. Mm. Wow. So erotic love, it it keeps, it keeps getting brought up. So what's the difference between romantic love and erotic love? Well, romance has a long history um, and erotic love. And you might have noticed I keep calling it erotic love. Mm -hmm. um, that's because when we think of erotic, we think uh, merely of sexual. Whereas Plato, who, who gave us some very important writings on eros, so eros not merely as physical and sexual, but eros was love of the good, love of the highest. And so Plato gave us a ladder of eros, which starts with physical attraction, what we think of as erotic love, but then moves to the love of the good in the other and then moves to the love of good itself, mm. um, in which there's no physicality, there's no sexuality. And that's why we have that phrase platonic love, right? It's not right. Uh, just about being friends. It's the love of the good. Um, 
So that's um, eros can be uh, seen purely as sexual, but also as um, much more desire for for the good or goodness itself. Romantic love. Um, uh, philosophers tend to see romantic love beginning in in the Middle Ages with courtly love, mm-hmm. um, with the notion, you know, we have it in the fairy tales, the, the knight in shining armor and the, right. the damsel who needs defending. Um, and out of that courtly love came all kinds of romantic expressions of love. Um, and I suppose our contemporary version of that is the Hallmark cards. Uh <laughs> You right. know, which is soppy sentimentalism right um and and romantic novels um so i suppose romance is uh, a kind of a part of uh, eros mm. um but um don't know what to say about it really i think it's overdone in our society right, right. i think um we tend to think that romance is the entirety of love and that if we are not having romance in the in the kind of sentimental Hallmark cards version, we we don't know love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's not very helpful, right. to be honest. And I agree. I completely agree. So what is your what is your perspective on soulmates then? Because I feel like I feel like our society also plays a a big impact on soulmates and meeting your soulmate and falling in love. And then you have all these, like you said, these sentimental cards that you send to people. What, what is your perspective of a soulmate? Does it exist? Is it possible? Is it real thing? (laughs) Well, I think, uh, yes, I'm sure it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's there in Plato somewhat, you know, Plato, uh, suggested that, uh, human beings are, created as a a single unit and then mythologically that unit divides and then the whole of human life is searching for your other half your the other half of your soul um so it's it's a fairly ancient idea it was there in celtic cultures they called it the anamkara which was a soul friend um and uh perceived that as that life was incomplete without a, a soul friend um it's probably there in Aristotle when Aristotle talks about true friendship. Talks uh, suggests that there's um, in anybody's life over a lifetime you will likely only have a very small number of true friends right. that you could count the fingers of one hand. And I suspect that Aristotle's true friendship is what we tend to think of as as um, the soulmate. Um, the sentimentalizing of it, I think, is well, you probably guessed by now. I said I'm not a great fan of sentimentalism. <laughs> right, right. <yeah. laughs> um, you know, I that again, I I don't think it's it's that helpful. I I think these things are where they're not helpful is that they lead people to an expectation mm. which is rarely fulfilled, and then it leaves people disheartened, disappointed. And feeling that something is missing in their life if they don't have what the culture tells us we should have. Right. Wow. So, it, it's it's kind of it's man. So it's it's like just. Do you think it's even possible to understand love? Because I was having a conversation 
And, you know, someone told me that love is just, is just a feeling it, and it, it shouldn't be, <laughs> it shouldn't necessarily be as difficult as we may make it seem. And it shouldn't be, um, as hard as we make it seem. And I agree with that, but at the same time, the, the philosopher in me just wants to question absolutely everything. Like, cause there's so many components. So like, is, is it even yes. possible to understand love at this point? Well, I, I would, I would expand your question and ask the question, is it, is it really possible to understand anything? Yeah. Well, yeah, um, there goes Socrates. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you, I mean, you know, Socrates, that the more, you know, the less, you know, that's true. And, and I would say, you know, at this stage in my, my life and my career, I've probably read more books than is good for anybody. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so there's a certain sense in which I, I probably know more now than I've, I've ever known in my life. Right. Um, but I would honestly say that I, I know for certain less now than I've, I've ever known. When I was 22, I, I was absolutely convinced I knew things. Um, That's me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, if, if the question is, have I experienced love? I would say, yes, I've experienced love in all of those ways that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, have I had successes in love? Yes. Have I had failures in love? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do I understand it? I don't know if I do. And I think it's probably for that reason that the poetry and song is a, is, is a way of expressing love that prose and philosophy uh, fail. Right. Because love is extraordinary you know i said before it's it's the glue that makes human society stick together i can't imagine a world without love Mm -hmm. and so for me uh, a better world would be a world where we have more loving relationships right wow interesting it was it's definitely a loaded question that it's not something that can necessarily and, and like what you're saying, it's, it's it's really based on experience and perception in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, you mentioned something very interesting before. Um, you said that, you know, and I, I, I completely agree with this, that we oftentimes, um, by the end of our life, we're lucky to have five good friends on one hand. Mm-hmm. Now, why why exactly is that? Why is it that humans don't have the capacity to have more than five friends at the end of life? And and what role does loyalty play into that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite a few questions. Um, as to why it's a few, I um, I'm not totally sure. I'll I'll hazard a guess. I think with erotic relationships, which are the most intense, most of us can only deal with one of those at a time. Um, human beings tend to be serially monogamous. And um, I know that there is uh, quite a bit out there now, especially in social media, about being polyamorous and loving erotically more than one person at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm I'm open to the possibility that that's the case. But mostly I see it as failing, that that people are... uh, find it very, very difficult to have more than one intense erotic relationship at a time. It seems to me that as one is strengthening, another is fading in serial monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, but friendship is is also fairly intense. 
because the friend, the true friend in the Aristotelian sense, the soulmate is someone who really does unself for your sake. Um, you know, they, they, a true friend cares for you more than they care for themselves, basically. Right. And you can't do that all the time with lots of people. You can't love everybody with that intensity right. okay. all of the time. Um, and so I, th- I think for that reason, perhaps Aristotle suggests that you only have very few of these um, in a lifetime. Now, I'll give you my, my own experience. I'm married to Jane, and we've just celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. That's amazing. That's um, amazing. And uh, Jane is my soulmate, as you know, and I'm her soulmate. Um, we have both had uh, other friends in the time that we've been married who would count as Aristotelian-type friends. Um, I can think of... Uh, basically two friends like that over my lifetime um so that's jane and two other people that's uh that's three um but i could not imagine the intensity of that relationship uh with many more people than those uh three people right um i wouldn't have the the energy uh the psychological fortitude uh everything that requires for that kind of relationship. Right. So, okay. Now I, now I completely agree with you because you can only have those. Oh, that's dangerous. If, if you completely agree. Not, not, not completely. Not, not, yeah, let me reword. <laughs> that's dangerous. You're right. <laughs> I don't completely agree with you, but I agree with you on some aspects. I just, I just, okay. So like me, my mission in life right now, I, and, and, this is just the ambitious 22-year-old in me at, at, at one point in time. It definitely was you because I'm confident. I think I know a lot, but at the same time, I, I, know, I know I don't know a damn thing. Um, <laughs> but I just want, I want to be a person that spreads love, like lives basically like Aristotle, live through a virtuous life by spreading kind com- compassion. But, I, you know, I feel like my mission is, is to... Because I also practice mindfulness meditation, I do a lot of reading. Um, and my mission, I feel like, as of right now in life, is 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 to help others in absolutely every way possible. So you know, I want to be, I'm becoming, I'm going to physical therapy school to help people walk again because that's something that has impacted my life. But I also want to help people spiritually and mentally. Now, like you said, you can't necessarily have those intense emotions for many people it's just not human but at the same time how do you spread i mean it's probably like a micro dose of love but like you said earlier your students say that they love you and you're like you don't know me so it's like how do you can you is it possible in your perspective to spread love to others while trying to also manifest just a positive life and a virtuous life and just having people see the light within themselves is that like a thing? Yes. Yeah, that is a thing. Yeah, it's it's what I call uh, expanding circles of loving concern. Okay. So if you if you think the center of the circle is is you, the I, the self, right? You're at the center of the circle. If you expand that with another circle, then that would be those with whom you are in close relationship. That would be erotic relationships. 
um, slightly expanded, that would be a circle of close Aristotelian type friends. You expand that circle again, that would extend to your family, to those people that you immediately have daily contact with, people that you work with, uh, students. Um, then you expand that circle further and that would be maybe if you're a student at university, it would be your university community. If you're at work, it would be your, your company, your workplace. You expand that further, it would be a wider sense of community, perhaps the uh, your nation, uh, your people. Um, if you have a certain um, uh, ethnicity, you could expand that circle into those who share your ethnicity. Um, and, uh, and then you expand it further to, to, to the world, to people all over the world, and you expand the circle further to include uh, non-human beings, uh, the planet itself. Um, and for each of those expanding circles, there is a loving concern. And the further the circle expands, likely the less intense is your loving concern. So you might have kids. Um, and your loving concern for your own children is very intense, very close. Um, you would have concern for a child dying of starvation in sub-Saharan Africa, but it's likely to be less intense than your loving relationship with your own child. Mm. Now, that loving, expanding circles of loving concern, it also comes in into Confucian ethics, uh, Confucius thought that your family was your uh, primary ethical concern and then it expands beyond that so yeah i think you know the plan for your life that you just uh, shared with me sounds fantastic it's you know if everybody takes that on as as a, as a way of living to 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 spread love and compassion kindness and care in ever-expanding circles of loving concern, the world would be a better place. I'm going to say Esteban for president. <laughs> Thank you. Now, honestly, I, I what you said was absolutely beautiful, but I right when you started, I just, you know, the devil's advocate in me just came came running in because you said it's different circles, but the circle starts within yourself, but the self doesn't exist. Yeah. The self doesn't exist. So it's kind of, is it kind of like a thing where, so like there's this quote that says, as you dissolve into love, your ego fades. You're not thinking about loving. You're just being love radiating like a sun. And that's kind of, that's a, that's a quote from Ram Dass. Um, so is what you're saying with those inner circles that it starts with you. And then as these circles expand, you're, necessarily fading your own ego and you're fading away from the self is that is that does that make sense um yeah that does make sense um though i'm gonna stay with um with murdoch could say all love is an unselfing mm -hmm. so your immediate loves is an unselfing and your love for people on the other side of the world is an unselfing um i'm not sure the self does not exist um mm -hmm. i understand well, i don't know if i understand but i know of the buddhist uh thinking about that and it's similar to the thinking of uh david hume in the west that uh, the self has no uh, separate existence it's a bundle of uh experiences a bundle of needs i'm not sure about that um mm -hmm. my self-awareness 
his suggestion that there is such a thing as the self, right? I'm right. aware of myself. I'm conscious of myself. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure about that, to be honest. Mm. So, okay. Interesting. So, okay. Sorry, my mind is just going everywhere. Because I, I believe that, you know, I, I do agree that we are self-aware, but I think that everything that makes us who we are is something that has already been created before. And when when I think about somebody being yourself, I think about being authentic. I've been thinking being authentic is to be something that has never been created before. And I feel like I myself lack that because I am just a continuum of things that have already been created. Like that is just who I am. I'm nothing but chemical reactions and um, full of influences from pop culture, behaviors from my culture in general. So it's like, so what you're saying is that there is a sense of self. It's not complete. It's not complete. I'm, I don't even know what I'm trying to ask you, but <laughs> so there's, there's a sense of self, but it's, it's not so much that the self doesn't exist is what you're saying. Well, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a really complicated question. I'm sorry. It, it, it's a complicated question. Um, I, I, and I, I don't quite know how to answer it. I, right. I think everything is, it's constituted relationally. Right. Okay. So, um, that my physical body is is a product of uh, lots of processes before it was my body and continues to be as I eat food that that food transforms into my body right and mm. and oxygen and um, and so my body is uh, is composed of other things um, right. but that doesn't mean that my body does not exist mm. you know my body is my body um mm -hmm. and it makes sense to me to talk about my body it's not your body it's my body mm -hmm. um but it, it's composed of the orange juice i drank earlier and the banana and the <laughs> granola or whatever it was over breakfast um yeah fine but it's still it's still my body so it makes sense to talk about that and the self even though the self is composed of all kinds of experiences in life that produce you and pop culture and socialization and instinct and nature and everything that goes to make up who you are uh, doesn't therefore invalidate the sense that um, uh, the self exists. I mean, think about a river. Um, it makes sense to us to talk about, oh, let's talk about Cayuga Lake, which is quite near me here. It makes sense to talk about Cayuga Lake. Um, is the water in Cayuga Lake changing all the time? Yeah, it is. It's constantly evaporating. There's rain coming down on it constantly. Um, so the water within the lake changes uh, moment by moment, year by year. Uh, does that mean Cayuga Lake does not exist? No, Cayuga mm -hmm. Lake's there. We know it's there. It's mm -hmm. called Cayuga Lake. I can right. go down and dip my toes in it. Right. Um, wow. All right. Now, thank you. Yeah. You're gonna have now. This thought, <laughs> this thought is gonna be in my mind all day now. <laughs> I'm gonna be. Yeah, a, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to work handling patients, thinking about <laughs> thinking about if I'm here or not. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yes. Thank you so much. This was this was honestly such a an amazing and and light light enlightening conversation. I just wanted to thank you. Um, before we sign off, I was I was wondering if there is um, first any any last piece of gem or any 
last quote or something that you could leave for the audience before you leave? And also, where could people find you if they wanted to contact you or even if they wanted to find your work? Because I know you have a couple of books. Um, so, yeah. 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 OK. Um, I'll, I'll do with the last first. You can find me uh, at SUNY Cortland if you go to SUNY Cortland website um, and search for me, Andrew Fitzgibbon. You'll find me there. If you want to uh, see the books I've written, contributed to, you can go to Amazon.com, search me, Andrew Fitzgibbon. You'll find that I've written 15 books um, and contributed to probably another 20 books and uh, actually have a page on Amazon.com if, you, uh, uh-huh. if you're interested in seeing what I've done. Uh, and the gem to leave people with, uh, just go out there and be better lovers, really. Sorry, I lost you for a second. What'd you say? What was the last gem? Just go out there and be better lovers. Wow. What a gem. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I, I yeah, truly I truly appreciate this. Um, we'll definitely be in contact soon, okay? All right. Take care. All right. Have a great day. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That was Dr. Andrew Fitzgibbon. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of just like, well, shit, man. Like, (laughs) oh man, I'm left. I'm left here thinking about a lot of things. Um, but I hope, I hope you guys, if you guys had questions about love, I hope, I hope that you guys found some answers. I think, I think the the core teaching that I found from this conversation today was that love is all about being selfless. Um, and and I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions of love out there that weren't even talked about in this podcast just because, man, the topic can go on for days and days and hours and hours. But anyways, whatever. I hope you guys had a great time listening to this. If you guys have questions or anything, or if, even if you have arguments, come feel free to hit me up. Um, thank you again for joining me and doting me. What the hell? donating me a small fraction of your time for this awesome podcast. Um, And don't forget, you know, to take your time, right? My name is Esteban Ramirez. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of the Cosmic Conversation. I hope you guys have a great day filled with peace, love, and positivity. Peace.